It's May in Reykjavik, Iceland. And I've come here to meet a man from Cork City. Hi. Looking for Father Dennis. Do you know where he is? You can For the last 28 years, Father Dennis O'Leary has lived in Reykjavik, working as parish priest. The first five years or so, you know, that was probably the hardest time. And um, back then, many times uh, I'd be trying to uh, pick up the news on the long wave, (laughs) you know. Uh, There was much less opportunities for flying and so on, you know what I mean? Now there's three direct flights direct from Iceland to Ireland. Like in the past, you know, you'd have to go via Heathrow or Glasgow or some other place, you know. It's noon on Tuesday, and close to the centre of Reykjavik, by the side of a busy road, Father Dennis is leading a small prayer group outside the women's section of the National Hospital of Iceland. Morning, good afternoon. Hello, Sarah Dennis. This group gathers here at this spot every single Tuesday, rain or shine. You know, the temperature in Reykjavik in the winter, uh, it could go down minus five, minus six, you know. But it's the wind is the worst, you know. So if it's cold and windy... Like, then you really need to dress up well. Father Dennis and the five people with him are here at the hospital to pray. Okay, so we better start. Yeah. yeah, OK. They're praying for the end of abortion. Abortion has been legal in Iceland since 1935, making it the first Western nation to introduce abortion legislation. So we're standing in front of the women's section of the hospital in this place, then they perform the abortions, you know. Father Dennis is part of a very small pro-life anti-abortion group in Iceland. Catholics make up a tiny proportion of Iceland's population, less than 4%, and much of his congregation come from abroad. So we come here to pray the rosary and also we have a prayer for the ending of abortion, so... We've been doing it for seven years, actually, every Tuesday. And I doubt if we've missed, like, more than two or three, you know, in that time. The current abortion law in Iceland is from 1975, and it allows abortion to take place up to 16 weeks of pregnancy on both social and medical grounds. A short walk from where Father Dennis is praying is the University of Iceland. Hi, um, I'm Dagbjört. Dagbjört is working in the university canteen. I'm 23. I study French in the University of Iceland. Six years ago, in 2011, when Dagbjört was 16, she was in a relationship with a boy for over seven months. We were in love and everything, and first I was on the pill, and it's a little bit expensive, and I didn't like buy it the time I should have. So that's when I got pregnant. I was at home on my 17th birthday. And then I just decided, oh, maybe I'll just take this test. Like, But I, I never expected it to be like positive. And then it was, it felt really unreal. That is the thing you're so scared of, I think, when you're a teenager. Like, and I, at first I just didn't believe it. I didn't believe it was like happening to me, like getting pregnant, like young. Then also came like shame of not having prevented it. And then I didn't know who to tell. And 
I was just in shock also. And my mother had to like hold me and then I told the boy and he was also in shock. In Iceland, abortion is available free of charge. Dr. Kristen Jansdotter is the head of gynaecology at the same hospital in Reykjavik that Father Dennis prays outside once a week. Mostly I think people are for abortion. I think we're so used to it that, you know, this is something a woman can decide for herself. It doesn't depend on if she has money that she can do it or, or go abroad. We, we, we don't, you know, we don't decide for them. This is just a, a woman's right, we think. The population of Iceland is about 330,000. Last year, 1,091 abortions took place. That's about one in every five pregnancies ending in abortion. Around the centre of Reykjavik, people echo what Dr. Kristen Jansdotter says. And I get an impression of a society that is generally in favour of their existing abortion laws. If you don't want a baby, you don't have to have one. It's a human right. It's just a question of freedom. Everyone deserves a choice. I know a couple of you know, kids my age that go through it, and I don't feel like there's a lot of shame in that. They're just like not ready. Yeah, in Iceland, it's, it's probably a right that women have, been, have had for a so long time. My mother, she was born in 43, and she had two abortions. It's not an easy choice. It's just, I don't think people are like recklessly using it. I mean, I think women should be able to do whatever they want with their bodies. And yeah. Lord Jesus, bread of life, Out in a quiet suburb of Reykjavik, in Father Dennis's small white church, he and his congregation pray for the unborn once a month. For the scene of abortion, have mercy on us. For the daily killing of innocent babies, have mercy on us. For the bloodshed throughout our land, have mercy on us. For the silent screams of your children, have mercy on us. For the killing of your future disciples, have mercy on us. Six years ago, 17-year-old Dagbjörn was getting closer to making a decision on her pregnancy. I was studying languages at the college, so I always knew I wanted to, like, travel. So th- that was the first thing I-, I thought about. Like, I don't want to drop out of college. My mother always said, it's your decision and you're free to, like, do whatever you want with it. And for me, I had to go down both roads, like, see how my life would be if I would have it and how to not, to just be sure. I think... It's very understandable that you don't feel ready to be a mother when you're 16. So I didn't really see how that would fit into my life and what I wanted to do in the future. Babies are nice, but I'm, I'm not ready to be waking up and leaving myself behind and leaving my studies behind and my life with my friends and, like, I'm just not. Across the road from Father Dennis's church live the Friggy family. April Friggy and her husband Mike came from the United States when Mike got a job in a genetics company. At the time we had five children, you know, who's going to rent to a family with five children? But we went in this one and, and we just fell in love with it. And the man says, oh, by the way, there's a Catholic church over there across the way. That was a real blessing. April and Mike are very involved in the small pro-life movement in Iceland. When we came here 20 years ago, it seemed like there was simply no pro-life voice at all. Abortion was just taken for granted among the population. In 2004, Father Dennis and some of his parishioners started talking about abortion. Father Dennis said, I 
feel like the Holy Spirit's telling us to, to talk about abortion and do something with it. In all honesty, I don't think that prior to that I would have said every instance of abortion is wrong. You know, I'd probably absorb the American mentality of, you know, well, I wouldn't do it myself, but, you know, who am I to prevent somebody else? But, you know, once we got involved with it and I began looking into the actual issues that I realized that, it, you know, you can't draw this, this line that, okay, this life is valuable and, and this one isn't. Father Dennis put the call out to his parishioners. We decided to start a group called Leafsverand, which means Defence of Life. We started having meetings and sometimes we were advertising some pro-life message or something in newspapers, organising prayer groups and things. It's a tendency to disappear very much here. For the most part, it's just like taking for granted, you know, abortion. But basically, it was just to keep the pro-life issue above the horizon. Mike Friggy is the current chair of Father Dennis's pro-life group, which has about 30 members in the whole of Iceland. In terms of really active members, we're talking three to five. They're 30, but they're three to five people that are sort of doing all the work. We felt like even if it were small, we wanted to sort of make a statement. We're going to stand against the current culture in our little way. Mike's wife, April, cites research on the impact of abortion on women. They did another study in in Finland where they said that in the following year after the abortion, those who did have the abortion were three and a half times more likely to die. One of the possible explanations is that um, these women might engage in riskier behaviour. You know, perhaps it's as a result of this subconscious feeling of, of guilt at having destroyed a life, you know, perhaps they do engage in the riskier behaviour. That's a surmise. Hi. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you doing? Celia Barra Omarsdottir is a lecturer in politics at the University of Iceland. She has co-authored a book on women's experiences of abortion in Iceland. We wanted to lift up this experience that so many women share. It's like judging by statistics in most Western industrialised countries about a third of all women go through a termination at some point in their lives. And it's not something that you ever hear about. Celia is not a fan of Father Dennis's group. If you Google abortion, you'll find their website and they try to put the fear of God in you. This will follow you, this will torment you your entire life. These lies that having an abortion increases the likelihood of cervical cancer and even breast cancer and, you know, this fake science that is just has permeated the U.S. discussion on abortion rights. So they tried to bring that in here. Back in 2011, 17-year-old Dagbjort felt there was only one answer to her situation. I had to call the hospital and just, like, say it out loud, like, I want to get an appointment to get an abortion. Like, that was really hard to do. And then there came these days I had to wait 10 days until I got the place at the hospital. I couldn't tell anyone. And I just felt horrible just to know that... It wasn't over yet. Like, I felt like I had some symptoms, like I was getting nauseous and stuff like that. That just was not a good feeling. Like, feeling your body going in one direction and you're not going that way, like, was not a good feeling. But still, I didn't think this is a a little human baby, like, inside, like, because it is not gone that far when you end this process so early. It's not how Father Dennis sees it. Because if the mother says, I want this child, she talks about the baby. My baby is three months old, you know, developing and so on. But if she doesn't, it's like, you know, it's a clump of cells or it's a fetus or or something. But it's never a baby, you know what I mean? So 
But that's illogical. It's the same being, but it's just whether she wants or doesn't want. Is that enough reason for a life to end? Or is the convenience of the mother enough to choose? You live, you die. Certainly, it can be very difficult to, to carry a child and to rear a child, absolutely. But human life is human life. It's sacred, it's special, it's unique, you know? At present in Iceland, a woman seeking an abortion must get authorization signatures from two doctors or one doctor and one social worker. Helga Sal Olafstadter is one of three social workers working in the National Hospital of Iceland. So we all have our own office. Part of her job is to meet pregnant women considering an abortion. And here is mine. And we all try to have them as comfortable and as warm and cosy as possible. I have a couch, which I think is very important if I have a couple that they can sit together and feel not overwhelmed. Flowers and a little bit decoration on the walls and candy. Helga sees women in many different circumstances. Usually that is the social situation. It can be that it's uh, just a new relationship and they are not sure about each other. It can be a single mother that is already have children, not able to take care of three children on her own. It can be that they are still in school, that they're very young. It can be that they are grown up, they are 40-something, and they weren't thinking about having an extra child. There are many reasons why they want to have an abortion. As Dagbort looks back on her 17-year-old self, she still remembers going to the National Hospital for her abortion. Uh, for me, it was a very, very hard experience. First of all, I had to go alone, and my mother dropped me off. I think just she was working or something like that. I told the boy. He was on the other side of the country working. I did ask him, and he was, like, going out with his friends or something. Like, yeah, there was a birthday or something. So obviously he didn't, like, feel this was a big deal uh, or as big enough to come, like... And I went in there and I felt so ashamed. If it had been noon on Tuesday, Dagbert would have seen Father Dennis and Leifsfernd praying outside the front door. When we started praying first, it would be the place where mothers would be going in and out. We're not advertising ourselves. We don't have any posters, so there's nothing to identify us. But I think most people living in Iceland know about this group because it's gone on for so long and it has been covered in media. Most of Father Dennis's prayer group are not Icelandic, something that jars a little with the social worker at the hospital, Helga Sal, that I met earlier. We have made our legislation in our way. The reason why we have the legislation was that the women wanted this legislation. They wanted to have these rights. We have history of a strong women. So if you are coming from abroad, you come with your own culture, and maybe that is crashing a little bit with our culture. We also have Icelandic people that are against abortion. But it is a little bit strange, I have to admit, when people come with their culture and trying to understand our legislation from their cultural point of view. Given their outsider status, Father Dennis and his group, including scientist Mike Friggy, can sometimes feel isolated. It is difficult, I suppose, in the sense that um, pro, pro-life is 
regarded as a little bit unusual, we'll say. So it takes a certain amount of courage to, to speak out about it and to take a stand and so on. Again, in the scientific community, it's okay to, generally okay to make fun of people of faith. It is difficult sometimes because they're highly educated and some of their arguments have been thought out. So it's, it, I can sometimes be in a difficult position. But as you see, I wear my cross <laughs> and uh, many will wear something slightly smaller than mine. But people know that I'm a Catholic and they know what I believe. And sometimes I've taken some hits for that. And every once in a while, someone will stick up for me. Uh, but mostly it's a kind of a feels a little lonely sometimes. Back in the hospital in Reykjavik, it's social worker Helga Saul's job to talk to people who are thinking of having an abortion. Sometimes they are a little bit, this is my decision. I'm a very bad person to want to take the decision. It's very important that when people are taking the decision, it's not a decision that they take lightly, but they're usually thinking about what is best to do in this situation. It can be a little bit stressful and they don't know that we say yes to everybody. <laughs> but regarding to the legislation, we can say no. But I have never said no. Of course not. It's their life. Why should I choose what type of life they want? The child needs a parent that are willing and able to take care of it. In Iceland, there's currently a push to review the 40-year-old legislation and liberalise the abortion laws further. One of the changes that is being proposed is that women will not need the authorization of a doctor or a social worker. She can just decide herself. I think it is empowering women instead of being nervous that I have to speak to a person that I've never met before, some social worker or doctor, and I have to convince her about what I want to do with my life. It's strange. We who work with it, we feel it also a little bit strange. Of course, this is your life. You should choose how you want to live it. Six years ago, Dagbjörg got her two authorising signatures with no problem. But she found the next stage of the process difficult. And then came some nurses. They were, like, prepping me to examine me or something. And they started asking me these questions, like, but why didn't you use the condom? Like, and you're so young, and, you should, like, we're seeing these young people coming in here, and, like, you shouldn't be doing this without protection and like of course you have thought this yourself like you don't need two old ladies telling you this like and people come all the time and they're not just young people and they're not just the responsible bad people like and I didn't have anyone with me to share the blame like they didn't talk about the man or they didn't ask what was he thinking or why didn't he bring a condom so I just sat there by myself feeling very ashamed and like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry this happened. It was an accident. But I was apologizing for my situation. This is not something that is illegal to have an abortion. Like, I don't think people should be judged by this woman. She doesn't know anything about me or my life. In the women's clinic at the National Hospital of Iceland, Dr. Kristen, the head of gynaecology, is getting ready for the day ahead. I just asked if many were coming and she said, yes, there are five. And I asked her, is everything ready? And she said, yes, everything is ready for them. Abortions regularly take place here, along with various other gynaecological and prenatal matters. Dr. Kristen explains at what stage they begin to see women seeking an abortion. You can see a heartbeat around six weeks. 
and and many women they only know that they're pregnant around six, six weeks so if it's later on and maybe if they see uh, the fetus you know we do an ultrasound to make sure that it's you know that everything looks normal and we usually don't show them those pictures uh, but but if they see it it might might change their mind in some cases not quite often but but it might do so many in the pro-life movement have tried to argue that you should have a, an ultrasound because when you realize there really is a baby there, the language then maybe doesn't get in the way so much. There's the direct kind of experience of that fact. As it happened, Dagbjord did have an ultrasound and it gave her more information than she had expected. It didn't change her mind, but it made things more difficult. They examined me because they have to like scan something to see if there really is a baby. And there was this student also like you're learning to be a doctor so she was like showing her my uterus and like naming like yeah here's the head and here's this and that just felt really horrible like I wasn't expecting it and it was really uncomfortable just like I knew it was there but like just naming like the head and the feet or whatever that was not a nice experience. After the initial examination of the pregnant woman Dr. Kristen and her team at the National Hospital of Iceland begin to proceed with the abortion itself. And after they've had the examination, then the nurse gives them the tablets. They get this tablet and they take that while they're here with us. It cuts off the hormone production from the ovaries because for the fetus to survive in the early stages, they need progesterone. And this is anti-progesterone. So that's the way we do it. It kind of turns off the ovaries, and that way kills the fetus. And a couple of days later in the morning, they take the second medication, the second tablets they get two days later. It's just to empty the uterus. When they take these, the fetus is usually dead. The experience didn't go that straightforwardly for Dagbjord, though. And then they just gave me a pill. They like, couldn't go home so because it would be too far for me to get back if there were complications. I had to sit in a waiting room until the pill hits you and there comes blood. And then the blood came and it was like, it got all over the place and I had to go to the bathroom and people could see it. And it was like... I think maybe my case was, like, not really good. People just walking by me, and I'm just, like, waiting there to... The, all the blood goes out, like, that. So... <laughs> but I don't think I had any pain, just, like, emotional pain. If I were older and more confident, I would have, like, just been sure of myself. But because I was so young, it, all of it was so hard for me. It was, like, three hours, I think. And then they have to examine you or see that it's all of it or something like this. And then I could go home. It was horrible. And I just felt like someone should have been with me. It was directly outside the front doors of the hospital where Dagbert had her abortion that Father Dennis and his prayer group were praying. Until a couple of years ago, when the group started to attract some attention. But then after about five years, then... Uh, people started uh, reacting uh, towards it because uh, it was obviously disturbing some people. Uh, it was an issue for them. Uh, there were some complaints in the papers, and so it started building a little bit, and eventually a group showed up protesting at the same time we were there. 
they, they were standing a few meters away from us uh, and they were, uh, you know, shouting stuff, you know. But like we were just uh, kept on praying. It was more distracting, of course, because, you know, people were displaying anger and so on. So, you know, we just went ahead and, you know, there was some news about it in the papers and the, the media and so on for, uh, for a bit. And then it kind of fizzled out again, you know. After the protests at Father Dennis's prayer, the Bishop of Reykjavik asked them to make some changes to their location. I think it was just that he, he didn't want uh, things turning nasty because um, there was a certain possibility people might lose their cool or things like that, you know, over a longer period of time, you know. And um, so he just saw, you know, I need to just lower the pressure a little bit, you know. <laughs> Not that it was a huge amount of pressure to begin with, but for some people it was uh, an issue. Father Dennis and his pro-life prayer group now pray near to the hospital, but not on hospital grounds. They're now at the car park by the side of the busy road, close to where Dagbort's mother collected her after her abortion in 2011. I think she was a little bit shocked because I had blood in my pants and of how upset I was. And then she just drove home and she was really nice to me. I just felt a big relief, like really, yeah, that it was over and I could move on with my life as it was, because if I would have had the baby, like, everything would have changed. I would be stuck with so many problems. And just to be free of those responsibilities that I didn't want and wasn't planning for, that was really, like, good feeling. Back in the hospital, I'm with Helga, the social worker. She offers people the chance to meet with her about three or four weeks after they've had an abortion. Often they say, yes, I want to. But then they come and say, I'm feeling okay. Is that okay? Am I allowed to feel okay? Because the most difficult part of the whole thing is when you're deciding. So regrets, which people are very afraid of, that isn't that common at all. People take the decision, it's difficult to take the decision, and they find a way to deal with it. Because this is the decision that they made based on their situation and their life. For Dagbjord, she's glad to live in a country where abortion is easily accessible. It's very important. Like, can you imagine the horrific experience of me having to go through all of that and it being illegal? I still would have gone through with it. I, I would have gone to another country, like, I think, because I was not ready at that time. But that would just made the experience more traumatic and worse in every way, like... I don't think it would have changed my decision, but it just, yeah, it would not have good effects on me or my future, like on the way I see myself. After the abortion, Dagbjort's life began to move on, but not necessarily as she thought it might. But after that, like, everything was different. I broke up with a boy. He wasn't with me in the process, and I changed in the process, and he didn't, and he didn't feel the guilt and the hit of it as I did. And I loved him, like, and I was happy before all this happened. And maybe it would have been happy for one or two more years, but it wasn't anymore. So there came a pretty difficult, lonely period. And also because I really didn't want to tell anyone about this. I didn't want the girls in class to, like, talk about me behind my back. And everyone was asking me, why are you breaking up? And I just, I didn't tell anyone why. And that also made me feel more alone. And I didn't want people to be talking about something so hard and so personal 
I didn't want anyone to use it like against me, like I was a slut or I was like this, and I just really kept quiet to everyone. Most people who have abortions in Iceland are less than nine weeks pregnant and can take a tablet, as Dagbjörn did. But for those who are over nine weeks pregnant, they need to have a different procedure. Head of Gynaecology at the National University of Iceland, Dr. Kristen Jansdotter, explains in some detail that may not be suitable for younger ears. They come like on a daycare basis. They come in and are here for two or three hours. Uh, short uh, anesthesia, 10 minutes. It's actually a, like a, a small suction tube. We, we, we suck it out, you know, and then they go home as soon as you can see that they are feeling well. If, if it's over 12 weeks, we don't, don't do the DNC. It's, it's, they're too far gone, so they have to go through a medical abortion here in the hospital because it can take some time. Is that essentially like they have an induced labour? In a way, yeah. But of course, it's not quite the same because it's only a, a small fetus. But it's, it's done in, a, in the same way, yeah. And those fetuses, they all get burned. Or they can choose to put it in a, a special graveyard here at the cemetery. And do, do many people do that? Not many, but a few ask for that. Mostly, mostly those that have the abortion, not because of social circumstances, but because there is something wrong, yeah. For Leifsvernd, Father Dennis's prayer group, their main goal is to bring an end to abortion in Iceland. And Chairman Mike Friggy is very clear on why. From a genetic point of view, once the egg and the sperm have merged and produced the embryo, there's completely new genetic material of another human being. As a Catholic Christian, I believe that from that moment of conception is infused with a soul. God is active in that activity. But from the, certainly physically, that DNA would produce a child, a human being. I don't think really that scientifically you can argue that there's not a life. You might argue about what type of protections it deserves. You can argue what kind of legal rights they have. But from a scientific point of view, there's life from the moment of conception. The author and politics lecturer at the University of Iceland, Silja Barra, is very clear on her views of where human life begins. It's not a human life until it draws a breath. If it's not viable outside of a woman's womb, then it doesn't have an independent right to life. I would absolutely agree that as soon as a child is born, we should do everything to save it. And I understand that people are conflicted when you're talking about preemies who are born at 23 and 24 weeks and we're able to save them, that it's difficult for doctors. But that is still the decision of a mother at 20 weeks if she's willing to continue. Iceland is often cited as a country where, due to screening, no babies with Down syndrome are born. However, Helga, the social worker that I've met at the National Hospital of Iceland, has a different story to tell. It is totally wrong because we have quite a few. Of course, they are fewer than uh, 20 years ago. About two every year, I would say. The people who decide to check if something is wrong, if they have Down syndrome, are the people that have already started decision-making process to maybe end the pregnancy. Otherwise, they don't come for the check. For example, last year we had four Downs. I think one of those or two of those had already had the procedure to check and decided to keep the child and go on with the pregnancy. And I meet them and I follow them throughout the process and 
help them with uh, the things that need to be done when you're having a child with Down syndrome. It doesn't make a difference if the screening process or if it is easier to get an abortion. If you want, really want to have an abortion, you will do whatever you have to do. And I think it is cruel to make people, when they're dealing with such a difficult decision, make people even suffer more by having to go abroad to have an abortion, which they really are struggling with. 13 years ago, April Friggy, one of Father Dennis's congregation and a member of his pro-life group, Leafsferend, unexpectedly found herself pregnant. She was offered screening to see if her baby had any fetal abnormalities. They were asking me if I would have the amniocentesis, you know, to see if, if the baby had any abnormalities. And I said, no, I don't need to know. You know, we'll, we'll face that uh, when the time comes. And our baby was, was just fine, despite the fact I was 43. You know, I think that life is, is a gift from God, that it, when we conceive a child, it's me and my husband and God, too. Because think of all the couples who try to become pregnant and yet can't. You know, it's not something you can, you can take for granted. So I think if, if God gives you that gift, he'll also give you the grace to get through whatever difficulties you would encounter. And we have um, one of the ladies who's been active in, in Leafsferend. She and I were, were pregnant at the same time. She was a, a couple of years older than me, so in her late 40s. And when she had um, just the regular testing, they found that the baby had a, a high risk of Down syndrome. But she said, no way to have an abortion. This is my child, and, you know, we'll love him or her, and... Uh, there's no way that we could, could kill this baby. Um, as it turned out, she had a miscarriage at about six months, but you know, she firmly believes that that was the right decision. Four years ago, Jagbjord was now 20. She was in another relationship with a man, but that began to break down for a number of reasons, just before she found herself pregnant again. I really, really, really did not want to be tied to that man for the rest of my life by having his baby. So it, then it was like more thinking, can I do this or not? Like, should I do it or not? And I remember that time you had to take the pill again and I just needed five minutes or something. Like, I, should I take this pill or not? Like, I always knew I wanted to have children, but not alone. And I wanted my, to have a family, just, yeah. And I got another abortion, actually. The social worker was just fine and I had my aunt with me, so that was better. And and I got to go home just and take the pill at home. And at that point I felt also the sadness of losing something a little bit, like because I was letting go of something. Then I just felt like a failure, like someone who had already done this should not have to do it again. Like, how can someone be so reckless or something? That's, like, what I was thinking. Like, me being that woman with two abortions in my past, like, that felt just... That was what I was thinking then, you know? At Mass on Monday in Father Dennis's church, a young boy is making his first Holy Communion. You know, he's got some disability, some sort of behavioural problems. But I mean, you know, in the future, would he be aborted because he's got this disability? Like, you can imagine they have some way to be able to find this in the DNA or whatever, you know. And they say, well, sorry, you know, we don't want 
a troublesome child or something, you know. So, like, it opens the, the floodgates. It's like a dam keeping back the water. Once you start to dismantle it, it's going to fall apart. So, in the end, everything will go. In Iceland now, you know, anybody who's pregnant can be tested if they want to be screened. So, if they discover somebody's with Down syndrome, then, you know, they can have an abortion. What's going to come next, you know? And eventually, it'll be just, you know, a sort of designer baby kind of, you know, sort of thing, you know, so... It's not a good road to go down, you know, because in the end, nobody's safe. I think everybody that has a child would say that it's a wonderful child, no matter how sick or, or whatever was wrong with him. But still, again, it's, it's, it's not our decision to make. It's, it's, it's there. And if they decide they want to have the child with Down syndrome, of course, and we support them with that. But if they want to have the abortion, it's the same thing. We support them in, in that decision as well. Dagbjort is now 23, and two years ago she met a man that she had known since school time. They started going out together and fell in love. She doesn't tell many people about her abortion history. If I tell them about this first one, I don't tell them about the second one. If I talk about it, then I talk as if I had just had one. Because, first of all, it's nobody's business. And second of all, it, I feel like in our society it gives this picture of me that I'm like irresponsible or and I feel like if I say it to people they just they don't understand I feel but she told her new boyfriend I said like yeah I have this big secret I have this thing in my past that I really need to tell you about and he was like okay getting ready and for him it was actually not that big of a deal or like it doesn't form his opinion of me as I thought it would. And soon, Dagbjord found herself in a familiar but very different situation. Like, also because I had gone through this, that I think I was more ready than someone who hadn't or something because I had to really think about babies and think, am I ready? And so I got pregnant pretty pretty soon after we started being together. The coffin, we go here. Small coffin, so... Yeah. At the Maria Kirka, Father Dennis is getting ready for a funeral. Sif Elijah, they gave him that name. So. Last week, Father Dennis got a phone call from a Filipino couple to go to the hospital to baptise a baby. The baby had been born very prematurely and was in intensive care. In the hospital, like they were doing everything they could, you know. I mean, sadly, he, he passed away a few days later. I was there with the family. The mother was holding the baby in her arms in the last, you know, uh, moments. And the baby was smaller in size, but it looked perfectly normal otherwise, you know. Like, it, it struck me something maybe that should be compulsory that people who are thinking about having an abortion actually see some kind of video or something to see the victim, you know, and you're talking about ending its life, you know. So his funeral is today in four hours' time here in the church. What we found in the women's stories that, that talked to us was that the responsibility they were choosing was the responsibility to becoming uh, responsible citizens, They wanted to complete their education. They wanted to be good parents to the children that they already had. Or they wanted to take care of themselves in getting themselves out of a violent situation, out of an unhappy marriage, or maybe being able to commit to, you know, being the family that was already there with two or three children and uh, a partner. 
So they were accepting responsibility for themselves and for the life around them. And very often that entails deciding not to bring an extra child into their lives. So being able to make that decision is just so important. Hi, I've come to see Dagbjort in her apartment. Oh, hi, it's, it's Nicolene. Yeah, welcome. Okay, it's fourth floor. Her block of apartments is near the university, and it's a special apartment. These apartments are for students with babies. Okay. Early last year, Dagbjort gave birth to a baby boy. And he is born in February, so he's one year and four months. He's a very happy boy. Mama? 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 After like six months maybe, everything, I felt like I was getting more happy and it was less hard. So of course it's, it is very nice. Yeah. And it just becomes natural, like he just becomes a part of you. Dagbjort says abortion doesn't define her. It, it should not be a black spot on your life. And it should not be this big thing in your life that you blame yourself for the years to come. Because it should just be, this happened, and I solved it. I would rather not do it again, because it is something you do uh, in a, when it's necessary. You just, you don't do it for fun, nobody does. But it shouldn't be this thing that forms your life, what forms what you think about yourself or how you think about babies or anything. More than 80 years after Iceland first legislated for abortion, the laws are now up for review and revision. One of the proposed changes is that the amount of time that a woman could get an abortion would be extended from 16 weeks up to 22 weeks of pregnancy. Author and political scientist Celia Barra is supportive of the changes to liberalise the laws. I just think it's it's so important that the law is clear that it's a woman's right to control her body. And that, in my mind, is just an absolute basic fundamental human right. And why would we want people to have children they don't want? I just don't understand that. Meanwhile, Father Dennis and Leipsvernd will continue to pray outside the hospital every Tuesday against abortion for the foreseeable future. I always feel Everybody was one time in their mother's womb. Everybody who is alive today, I'm sure, are grateful that they're alive today, you know, and saying, thank God I wasn't aborted, you know. What about the one that is aborted, you know? I mean, <laughs> they'd like to say that as well, you know. Yeah, Mama. Dagbjort is focused on the future. She intends to finish studying French in the University of Iceland, and hopes to become a teacher. Mama, cut a puppy. Papa, papa.